Good morning and welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth and meaning. My name is Chris Jimerson. I'm Minister for Program Development here at the church. And I have with me our ministerial intern, Lee Legault. We are the ministers in blue. Lee will be co-leading worship with me today, and I also have our wonderful lay leader, Leo Collis, who is doing extra duty today. He'll be part of the sermon interviewing the two of us about our topic of spiritual practices. We welcome each of you this morning. We especially want to welcome our visitors this morning. We're glad that you're here, and we hope that you join us for coffee and conversation after the service in House and Hall. We come from a long tradition of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in every person. One of the ways we greet the divine at this church is to turn and greet one another. It is also a tradition in our Unitarian Universalist churches to begin our services by lighting a chalice, which is a symbol of our faith. Please join with me in reading our words for lighting the chalice. As the days begin to lengthen, the world slowly moving from winter to spring, we kindle the flame of transformation, the fifth of the five values of our congregation. May the light of transformation lead us to the growth that shapes our lives and heals our world. Uh, The call to worship is by Chris Jimerson. In this moment, we gather together in this our beloved community. In this moment, we gather to know the power and beauty of ritual, music, and the blending together of the loving presence we have to offer. In this moment, we gather to glimpse that which is greater than than us, but of which we are a part. In this moment, we gather to worship together. Unitarian Universalism is a faith without creed. We don't have a set of required beliefs that we all agree to. Instead, we draw from all the world's religions and the traditions of all faiths. People have asked, what holds us together if not for identical beliefs? Well, one thing that holds us together at First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin is our mission statement, printed in your order of service. And that expresses this congregation's common purpose, and the congregation reads it together every Sunday. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Each week, to deepen our reflection on the meaning of beloved community and the challenges we still encounter for growing it, we have been asking folks to consider something that may be outside their realm of experience. This morning, I want to share an experience from my life with you. Tomorrow, my spouse Wayne and I will get in the car and drive to the little small East Texas town where my mom lives to visit with her for the holidays. Her little town is just a few miles from Vider, which has been the center for the Ku Klux Klan presence in that area of Texas. The former police chief of the little town where my mom lives was rumored to be a KKK leader in the area. There have been attacks against gay and transgendered people. There's lots of racism. It's very socially conservative, lots of religious fundamentalism. 
Well, my mom has other family staying with her, so we are staying in a hotel. And we got to talking about the area and realized that two men of our age staying together in one room might be pretty obvious. We had to ask, would we have trouble because of it? Would our safety be at risk? We decided to get two separate rooms. I have to admit, I don't like the way that feels. It feels like being forced back into the closet over a fear of being put at risk. And then I thought about, what if one of us was a person of color? What if we were both a same-sex and interracial couple? Would we feel safe to go at all? So if you've never had to experience this, the question I'd ask you to think about next week is, what would it be like to have to fear going to certain places simply because of who you love? Now, as we struggle with this, let's remember there's no need to immerse ourselves in guilt or shame. In fact, these can be counterproductive because we need joy, we need community, we need each other to sustain our struggle to do justice and build the beloved community. And there is beauty to be found within the struggle itself. Today's reading is by Brene Brown. Spirituality is recognizing and celebrating that we are all inextricably connected to each other by a power greater than all of us, and that our connection to that power and to one another is grounded in love and compassion. Practicing spirituality brings a sense of perspective, meaning, and purpose to our lives. For some people, that power greater than us is God. For others, it's fishing. Some are reminded of our inextricable connection by faith, others by expressions of shared humanity. This is the time in our service when we breathe together. And breathing together, we feel the loving presence of those around us. We follow our breath to that deeper place, a place of wisdom, a place of wholeness, the spark of the divine within each of us. Breathing together, we enter into a time of sacred silence, remembering that in this congregation, human sounds and sounds of our children are very much a part of the sacred silence. Let us enter the silence together.
As I mentioned earlier for our sermon this morning, Leo is going to interview us on our topic of spiritual practice. So, Leo, go easy on us. Well, to start, Chris, I'd be interested in knowing uh, how you might define spiritual practices. Yeah, I, I suppose we'd have to start by defining what we mean by spiritual or spirituality. And I loved Brene Brown's description of spirituality that you read for us earlier. And so for me, anything that I can do that gives me that perspective and grounding and love, compassion, and interconnectedness, that sense of being a part of something much more powerful and much larger than myself can be a spiritual practice. Lee, does, uh, does Chris's definition of spiritual practices resonate with you? It does, Leo. Um, I often exchange the word practice for the word habit, and I started doing that because I had a lot of familiarity with habits, which are just learned behaviors that we practice so often that they become automatic. For example, brushing our teeth is a habit or stopping at a red light, and I'm super great at those. So I thought, well, if I think of it like a habit, then I feel pretty confident I've got some transferable skills that I can move over to the spiritual realm. Um, and also, I guess the, the definitions that I've heard so far haven't captured the, the critical nature of spiritual practices to my well-being. I use my spiritual practices like a carpenter uses tools or like a Navy SEAL uses weapons. I really depend on them to be there for me when I need them. And if they're not there or if they're rusty, then I'm just not as good at meeting the moment as I otherwise would be. Chris, can you share some of your spiritual practices with us? Sure. I've actually noticed over time that I tend to have a couple of different types of spiritual practices. And the first is an ongoing practice that I tend to commit to on a regular scheduled basis, what some folks call a spiritual discipline. Some examples include um, taking meditative hikes in nature at least three times per week, Austin weather permitting. Um, And for those, I often bring my camera because I find that having to think about what would make a good picture through the lens of the camera helps me to notice and focus on the beauty all around me. Another one I've done is listing three things for which I'm grateful each morning. I'd like to do that in my iPhone in the notes application because then that gets synced across all my computational devices. And then I can go and look at that list later on and remember everything for which I need to be grateful. With those two practices, actually, I found over time that they became less effective for me, and there's actually some neurological research that indicates that that can happen because our brain stops responding to the same set of stimulus. So I now do those on a more impromptu basis, though I still do them. A a regular spiritual practice I'm still doing is that once a month I talk on the phone with what's called a spiritual director, and what he does is he helps me to kind of step back from day-to-day life and day-to-day work as a minister and look at things through a broader, more spiritual and theological lens. Uh, And then I've also found that I've come to think of going to the gym three to four times a week as an actual regular spiritual practice also because what it does is it breaks up my work day. It requires me for that period of time to just be mindful of the exercises that I'm doing. I kind of have to so I don't drop something heavy on my head. And then what happens is I find that when I go, even if I'm tired, even if I'm having a stressful day, even if I'm not feeling that well, 
I come back feeling much better physically. I have more energy, and the stress has kind of melted away. So the other type of spiritual practice I tend to have is one that's more impromptu and spur-of-the-moment activity. So that's how the meditative hikes and the gratitude practices are now. Another example is sometimes during the workday here at the church, especially if I'm tired or stressed out, I'll come in here in the sanctuary and just sit quietly for a few minutes. Or if it's a nice day, I'll walk around the campus of the church and maybe sit on a bench for a while. And again, this helps me clear my thoughts and helps center me. I have a friend that I actually met when we were in seminary together and kept up with all this time since then. I was talking to her on the phone the other day and telling her this service and how we're going to be doing it. And she informed me that she has an impromptu spiritual practice of sipping Chateau Saint Michel Chardonnay. All right, I suppose in moderation it might be. So I informed her, given that this is the last Sunday of 2019, I was feeling a spiritual imperative to do my impromptu spiritual practice that I do from time to time, wearing my Muppet boots to worship. So Lee, what are your spiritual practices or habits? I tend to tie mine to times of day. So in the morning after my alarm goes off, I start out with a mantra, and I say, I greet this day with an open mind, a happy heart, and a grateful spirit. I will enjoy all that I can and learn from the rest. That kind of gets my mind right as I get rolling. And then after I brush my teeth, I pick out the stone pendant that I'm going to wear for the day and the pair of rock balls that I'll put in my purse and get out and hold throughout the day anytime I'm seated for any length of time. I think of making these kinds of selections as a type of divination, although I hesitate a little bit to say that in here. Um, But it opens my mind to the challenges that I feel I might encounter during the day. And I kind of feel my way with the rocks into what resources might support me in meeting those challenges. So if I'm going to be working with people who are upset during the day, well, then I might choose some black rocks to remind me to put some boundaries and not take on pain that isn't mine. Or if I notice that I'm feeling a little bit down, well, I might feel my way into some jasper or some moonstone. And those rocks, when I hold them, might remind me to be just a little bit more kind to myself. This kind of what I would call divination helps me open my mind and listen to the inner teacher or the spirit of life. Then about 2.30, when I start to feel cranky, I do about 20 minutes of meditation. And my favorite kind is to do a lying down body scan meditation. But sometimes it just doesn't play out where I can do that. And so then I might walk up and down the halls for a few minutes breathing or do some breath prayer work with my bracelets. I try to do some yoga stretches after my kids go to bed, but it's like 50-50 that or Netflix. (laughs) Uh, Chris, what other types of spiritual practices might people consider? You know, I think that sometimes we constrain ourselves because we tend to think of spiritual practices as being something that we do that's tied to one or more religions like prayer, meditation, yoga, various other religious rituals, and those certainly are spiritual practice. 
But prayer doesn't have to be seeking help from a higher power. It can simply be articulating our wishes, hopes, our inner state of mind. And a spiritual practice can be something much more simple and not necessarily tied to a religion. So I wanted to give you several examples. Um, Simply digging in the ground, if gardening is something that soothes you, can be a spiritual practice. Journaling, creating art, singing, chanting, knitting, learning about something new, engaging in acts of kindness towards other people can be spiritual. Getting involved in public acts with other people, working for justice, absorbing the beauty of nature, volunteering for a good cause, attending a communal bonding event, and the list goes on and on. In fact, we gave you a handout produced by the Unitarian Universalist Association of some other spiritual practices. I think the point is that any activity that gives us that sense of grounding, interconnectedness, and being a part of something larger can be a spiritual practice. You may have noticed, as I was going through that list, Some practices are directed toward the mind, some the body, some the heart or our emotions, some our spirit or our soul, and some try to work all of those in. There's a wonderful book called An Altar in the World. It's by Barbara Brown Taylor, an Episcopalian minister, and she talks about how just the way we go about our daily lives, if we practice mindfulness about it, can be an ongoing, all-day-long spiritual practice. So... From that perspective, for instance, voting our values or helping others to get registered to vote can be a spiritual practice. The way in which we treat other people we encounter all the day long can be spiritual. Lee, you obviously have more than one spiritual habit you do every day, right? I do, Leo. I kind of like to layer them up like spiritual armor. And that's because, in my experience, the days where you most need your spiritual habits are likely to be the days where everything is going wrong. And so you might well miss a few of your spiritual habits, but if you have a lot of them, then you have a fallback. I learned this lesson when my husband was in a really bad car accident. I got a call from my neighbor saying that they were using the jaws of life to get my husband out of the car and that my neighbor wasn't sure if he was alive, but they were taking him to the closest level one trauma hospital and I should go there immediately. Well, I missed my meditation work that day and I missed my gratitude journaling. I missed a lot of things. I was in a kind of spiritual free fall and the thing that helped me get through his emergency surgery, which worked out great, and he's totally fine now, was actually my, my prayer beads because I had, a, I had a bracelet in my purse. I had it on me. And so I was able to do my breath work and connect to my breath in between doctors coming to talk to me, in between getting phone calls about my husband. It was something that I just happened to have on, to, on and it was like a rock that I could cling to in the wreckage of that moment. So you don't have to have more than one spiritual practice. But I like it because if you're comfortable with more than one, then you're likely to have one when you need it. Chris, uh, what obstacles or challenges do you think people might have in doing daily spiritual uh, practices? Sure. I I know a big one for me and for a lot of people that uh, I've done pastoral counseling with is that when I get really busy, 
when I'm feeling really stressed out, that's when I can feel like, oh, I can't take the time to go do my spiritual practice. And the irony, of course, is that that is the time that I need to take that time the most so that I can get out of that downward spiral. Um, one of the things that can help with that challenge is having accountability partners. So a friend that goes to yoga with you or several people that you get together with to do guided meditation. For me, knowing that I have an appointment with a trainer at the gym and then I get to pay for that, whether or not I go, really creates accountability when I'm tempted to skip it. Um, And I think another challenge that sometimes people get frustrated because maybe the first few things we try don't really have the desired effect for us. That happened to me with sitting meditation. I'm too hyperkinetic. I couldn't shut my thoughts down. And so I had to eventually find a replacement for that, which is the hiking meditations. Um, And because we know that Practice, spiritual practices may neurologically become less effective for us over time. Sometimes we may also have to vary what we practice, as Lee was talking about, um, with also just the practical realities of life, um, and or find ways to take the ones that we're already doing and do them in a different way or deepen them in some manner. Um, so, yeah, that would be um, the challenges that immediately come to mind. So, Lee, what tips do you have for people who might be just starting with uh, their own uh, spiritual habits? Well, I would offer four steps for building an effective habit by, um, who is it, James Clear, author of Atomic Habits. Make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy, and make it satisfying. So you make a new spiritual practice obvious by tying it to an existing habit. My alarm goes off, I will wake up, that's an existing habit, and then I will do my meditation or my gratitude, whatever's the new habit. And you make your spiritual habit attractive by bundling it with something that you already do that you really like. So when my alarm goes off, I will wake up, existing habit, I will meditate, new habit, And then I will have coffee cups number one and two. That is something attractive that I look forward to. And then the third step is you make it easy. So I wouldn't start, if I was doing a gratitude morning practice, I wouldn't start shooting for 15 gratitudes. I might start shooting for one and let myself say it in my head. You want to make it so you can't fail, so that you do it for that 7 to 14 days that we know it takes to build a new habit. And then you can build up your practice after you've already established it as a habit. And then fourth, you make it satisfying. So my prayer bracelets, they're so pretty to me. They're all different colors. Some of them are shiny and metallic. Some of them glint and reflect different colors. I enjoy looking at them, and I enjoy wearing them. And over time, that wouldn't matter. They could be stone-cold ugly bracelets, and the intrinsic reward of the peace that I feel would be enough. But in the beginning, when you're forming the habit that I was attracted to this bracelet the way a crow might be attracted to a coin was really quite helpful. It helped make it satisfying. So those four things, Leo, you make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy, and make it satisfying. Chris, why would you say that engaging in uh, spiritual practices are good for us and matter to us? 
I'd start by mentioning that there's good scientific research that at least some of these practices are very good for us physiologically, physical, and I would add spiritually. So, for instance, they can lower our blood pressure. They can relieve depression and anxiety. I'd say that spiritual practices can help ground and sustain us, especially when times are tough. They help give us perspective. They give us a sense of interconnectedness and belonging. And I think in the year to come, we're really going to need some spiritual practices to help us have resilience because we're going to face things like the Senate impeachment trial that's going to get ugly. I think the election and the campaign are likely to get very ugly. So we're going to need some spiritual resources to help keep us going during these times. And then finally... I think that we very often think of spiritual practices in a very individualistic way. So I'm going to go up on the mountaintop by myself and meditate. I think, especially in a religious community, it's important for us to remember that doing some of our spiritual practices in community can help us bond to each other. We can help each other get through things when we do our spiritual practices together. So when I was talking to Meg about my gratitude list, she said, I better be on there. <laughs> so, um, but we can help each other with our spiritual practices. We can support each other in religious community. We can develop shared practices like the guided meditation group at this church that gets together. Doing church, serving on the board of trustees or on a ministry team, I've heard people say, is very spiritual for them. Coming to worship. Our religious education administrator, Kelly, has put together a whole list of resources, articles that you can read on spiritual practices. They're available at the religious education table in the foyer, and she'll be adding to those next year as we go on and talk about this more and more. So practicing spiritual practices together helps bind us together. It deepens our relationships and reminds us that even during these challenging times, we are never truly alone. We have each other. Lee, why should people go to the trouble of developing spiritual habits? Well, I think your identity, really even your humanity, is tied to your daily habits. So to me, karma then is a compounding of what you do every day. Peaceful, loving people practice being peaceful and loving. They do peaceful and loving things every day. So spiritual practices, those are embodied actions that are consonant with the kind of human beings we want to be. And as we practice, we grow more into being those kinds of people. Amen, Lee. Now, please say with me our words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Comfort me, comfort me, comfort me, oh my soul. Comfort me, comfort me. Comfort me, oh my soul. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at 
austinuu.org.